followers of Jesus, we realize that because everybody except Jesus is imperfect, then we all need redemption, but we all struggle with all these different things. And then we realize because all of us struggle with different things, when you put us together in families, all families have issues. When you put us together in communities, all communities have issues. When you put us together in corporations, all corporations, all government has issues. Everything has issues because the sin nature that permeates all of it. Did you ever look at a baby and think, what a rotten little sinner? (laughs) Probably not. But give it a couple of years, though, and, well, you get the picture. However put together we might seem to be, we're all fatally flawed. As Pastor Daniel will be reminding you, that's why Jesus had to come. You'll start to understand this is also why the end has to be the way it is. This planet and its way of doing things has to be ended and remade the way God intended it to be. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, with his study called The Return of Christ. So I go and get this vest, and he's like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to do push-ups with the vest on. I was like, we're going to go run. Let's go run. And and he's all excited because he's like a Mexican jumping beam. It's crazy. You know what I mean? He's like, let's go do this. And so then we go do all this stuff. And at some point in this journey, I'm like, why am I wearing this vest? And why am I doing what he wants me to do? Like, this is insane. But then you look over at him and he's just like, (laughs) you know, he's like all good to go and he's all happy. But what's funny is is when you do a workout with extra weight on you, when you get to the end of the workout, everyone does the exact same thing. Like you get done and what do you do? You just get that weight off you. You're like, take that, get get this thing away from me. And in the same way, Pastor Gabe isn't really a sick puppy. I mean, he's a little nuts, but I love him to death, you know? (laughs) But the idea is, is in a lot of ways, Your salvation was God saying, I'm going to take all the weight of sin off of you. Listen, some of you, you've been carrying around such guilt and shame because of mistakes that you made, things you did wrong. Maybe people know about it. Maybe nobody knows about it. But you still carry the baggage of that. And I don't say that looking down on anyone because I know this very well. Very well. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Those of you who are weighed down, those of you who are carrying around all this garbage from addiction and sin and garbage, you're carrying it all around. And God is saying, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll take all those burdens off of you. I want let me unburden you. And I'm here to tell you, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you want to be saved because if you carry around a weighted vest... At some point, you just break down. You're exhausted. But when you take that thing off, it's like, oh, okay, I can live. And that's what Jesus wants to do. And if you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus, you have infinite reasons to praise him. He saved you. He forgave you of everything you've ever done. He knew all of it. I like to say God loves each one of us with full disclosure. Because I always joke, like, you know, people fall in love all the time. Oh, I'm so in love. And, and you're like, man, that's so beautiful. But you know, at some point, they're going to realize that that person, you know, like, they got to wear deodorant like everybody else. 
They're grumpy pre-coffee. I mean, like everyone's kind of the same that way, but they're perfect until you get to know them real well. And you're like, gosh, I didn't know why I love that person. Everyone knows that that's kind of the way it is, right? But God, he knows all of it. He's like, and I love you still. I know that you're grumpy in the morning. I know that you get hangry before lunch. I know that you yell at the television when your football team loses. I know you do this stuff. Oh. (laughs) But I love you still. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you should be living a hallelujah life, a praise the Lord life. And I'm here to tell you, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you want to live a hallelujah life. Because I'm here to tell you there's nothing, there is nothing that you have ever done that is greater than God's grace for you. God's love for you is greater than how guilty and shame-filled you feel about mistakes you've made. His grace is more. And in heaven, they're praising him because salvation and glory and honor and power belong to you, O Lord. Now, I love this. For true and righteous are his judgments, verse 2, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Now, I think this is really fascinating. And now, one day I'm going to write a book on uh, bumper sticker theology. I love bumper stickers. Because like, you learn so much about people, like about bumper stickers. So I, I remember, so b- before, uh, I mean, Lynn and I, we lived here, and we've been living here for the last decade. And obviously, you know that like kind of the Vancouver metro area is like kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're new agey central where we live. But before that, we lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is the birthplace of woo-woo spirituality. Those are our people. We love them to death. But it's like, you know, really like super, super spiritual, you know, uh, but not Christian. And I remember, I always see this bumper sticker that we should uh, practice non-judgment day. You ever see that bumper sticker? It's one of my favorite. It, it sounds so like righteous. You know, judgment day is bad and non-judgment is better. But what people don't realize is that the reason Jesus judges the world is because everything that goes on is not the way God intended it. Like when selfishness and pride and unrighteousness is normal, everything that God created is not functioning the way he intended. Like death, sickness. You go back to God's creation and none of this was supposed to be part of it. Broken relationships, broken hearts, things that make us cry, whether actual tears are on the inside. All of that is outside of the good creation that God made. When God created Adam and Eve, he said, oh, this is very good. But you look at the news and it's not very good. And because things have broken, Jesus' return is about God taking everything that is broken and making it right again. And that is a very good thing. Things that, like, you're like, man, that hurt. That was painful. That was not God's plan in the beginning. It's what happened because of sin and the fall of humanity. So Jesus' return is not like, it'd be like, oh, it'd be better if Jesus doesn't come back and judge the world. The reason Jesus is coming back and judge the world is everything is off kilter for God's original intention. And I love it because they say, true and righteous are your judgments. See, the reason Babylon is judged, notice, because the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. See, the influence of Babylon was a corrupting. Now, I've never heard the word corruption used in a positive sense. Anybody want to work for a corrupt boss? Anybody want to be raised by corrupt parents? Anybody want to be like, hey, man, my kid is a corrupt honor student. Corruption is never good. But really what you have is that 
for the world, for the kings and the merchants and the people who are doing business, they didn't mind the corruption. They didn't mind that Babylon oppressed and martyred the people of God. They just liked the benefits that they got. But really, God's like, yeah, heaven is praising God because all this corruption needs to get righted. And in some ways, as we move through this world, as followers of Jesus, we realize that because everybody except Jesus is imperfect, then we all need redemption, but we all struggle with all these different things. And then we realize because all of us struggle with different things, when you put us together in families, all families have issues. When you put us together in communities, all communities have issues. When you put us together in corporations, all corporations, all government has issues. Everything has issues because the sin nature that permeates all of it. Now, that's also true for church. Anytime someone's like, oh, I love Crossroads. This is the perfect church. I'm like, <laughs> welcome. I pray that it's always like this for you. And like, I love you. You love me. But it's never perfect. You want to see, look at this. I'm going to scroll down a little bit because you have all these hallelujah phrases. But then look what happens when you get on down here to verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I love this. It's saying that in the return of Jesus, it's the marriage of the lamb. It's God becoming one with his church. And it says to her has been granted to be given fine linen, clean and bright. And this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah says it. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So in Isaiah 61, it brings us this idea that the bride of Christ gets her wedding gown. And everything that, if you read your Bible about church, is every day until Jesus comes back, it's about the bride being prepared for her wedding day. The Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 5, he's talking about husbands and wives, but he automatically jumps into talking about Jesus and his church. And he's saying that the goal of Jesus is husbands should wash their wives with the water of the word that she might become radiant, that she may be without spot or wrinkle. So listen, every day in your life, what God is trying to do is he's trying to get you prepared for your wedding day. Now, I know for the dudes, being the bride of Christ sounds a little weird, but it's how it works. He's the Lord, and together we are created by him and for him. But every day of your life, God is trying to purify you. I love this idea of the bright linen, clean and bright. So like every day of your life, God is preparing you so that you become a little bit pure, a little bit more righteous. That things that you used to do, you don't do anymore. Things that you haven't done, you begin doing. Because every day, God is trying to de-wrinkle you. He's trying to cleanse you. So I want everyone just to look around. Look around for a second. Go ahead. Look at the people around you. Go ahead. Now look at it and make funny faces. Go ahead. Make, go ahead. Make funny faces. You guys on the sides too. Don't be shy. You know you guys got funny faces? That person, they wrinkly. They got flaws. And so do you. But every single day what God is doing is he's saying, listen, I want you to grow. I want you to walk differently every single day. And that's why when people say, man, like, man, I always have, if you find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it. 
You know what I mean? But there is no such thing as a perfect church. It's just the church who is being a bride being prepared for her wedding day. Now, how many of you ever heard of the idea of a bride being bridezilla? Anybody ever heard of this? You know, it's like where the woman, she's getting married, but she's just like, everything's imperfect. You know what I mean? And sometimes the body of Christ could be like bridezilla. We talked about this with people who want to come on staff. I'm always like, listen, why do you want to come on staff? Well, we love Crossroads and we love the church. I'm like, well, do you love the church on Sunday or do you want to like see the bride getting prepared for her wedding day? For a lot of people, it's one thing to go to a wedding. It's another thing to be the wedding planner. You know, and in a lot of ways for all of us, if if you become a fully engaged family member at a church, you begin to see like, oh, I didn't realize the fact that that's what happens. Like before service starts and something's out of place and people are scurrying around and they're like, hey, like hold on a second. Like, I thought we were supposed to pray and say hallelujah. And they're running, changing a cable. Like, can't they be nice? Like, no, they got to get the cable changed because without the bass, no one's going to dance in church (laughs) or whatever. You know what I mean? And that's part of what it all is. And I just bring all that up because what God is doing in all of us as we join in heaven's praise is we realize that the church is imperfect. And we're not giving the church a free pass and we're working on it all. But we realize that we're all just being prepared for our wedding day with Jesus. So we keep on growing. So you have all these different praise choruses. I love this idea where in verse 6 it says, Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. How many of you remember Handel's Messiah from high school chorus class or if you've ever been to the symphony? I remember singing that as a kid being like, I have no clue what omnipotent reigneth means. But that idea, the Lord God is the all-powerful one. And what's amazing is, is that in the midst of all of this, in verse 9, we land on the fourth of the seven Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I love that. That word blessed, in the Greek it's makarios, which literally means, oh, how happy or oh, how fortunate or how joyful. So the idea is, is that he's saying, you are fortunate and blessed and happy to be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, as all this happens, it's so fascinating because John hears this and he literally, in verse 10, it says that John, he fell at the feet to worship this angel who says this. And the angel's like, oh, ho, ho, Johnny, hold on. I'm just a sir, don't, don't get on up, worship God. Don't worship me. Now, I think what's fascinating about this is John We see him worship, falling on his face and worshiping Jesus in Revelation 1. And John would have been raised not to worship anybody except the true and living God. But it's interesting that in this moment, he kind of is overcome and he makes a mistake. Now, I bring this up because I try and imagine being John in this moment. It's seeing all these visions and now all of a sudden he hears all of heaven's praise. And what happened was, is in a moment of intense spiritual activity, he makes a mistake. And what I love so much about this, and it really blessed me as I reflected upon it, because I'm just so out of character for John. John would never do this. But what I realize is sometimes when God is doing some pretty intense spiritual things, we kind of get over our skis and we make mistakes, don't we? And it's just a great reminder because the angel isn't like condemning John, like you were never a good believer. I'm going to write a blog article about you or whatever. It's like he doesn't do that. He just says, no, hold on. I'm just a servant too. Get on up. We just worship God. You know, and I love how even the angel is super gracious with John. It's just a good reminder. When God is doing some spiritually intense things, oftentimes we make some mistakes. Like a lot of people believe that the profane fire that Nadab and Abihu offered was as the glory of God filled the tabernacle, as they began the, all the sacrifices, they just got excited. 
and they jumped out too quickly. It's just a good reminder. When God is doing a great work in your life, just be careful. Sometimes we get too excited. We get maybe too in the moment, and we step on outside of what God would have. And we see John doing that. But from here, now the really exciting stuff happens. Look what happens in verse 11. It says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Verse 12, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God, and the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. With it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So right here you have the return of Jesus, which I would just simply say, taking from verse 16, what we learn here is that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. He is coming back, and he comes back as Lord. Now, truth be told, I could do a sermon series on just these five verses because each attribute of Jesus here, coming on a white horse, his eyes like flame of fire, he's got diadems on his head, not the crown of a victor, but a crown of a sovereign. His robes are dipped in the fierceness of the wrath of God. All of this has Old Testament imagery. If you see my Bible here, there's like scriptures scribbled in all of the margins around it because all of this is a composite of all of these pictures of the return of Jesus, the return of the Messiah that you have in the Old Testament. Your Bible is littered and drenched with all of this imagery. And we could do a whole series on just these verses. Take each attribute. What does it mean? How does it work? What I think you have to remember is that the second coming of Jesus is a very prominent theme in Scripture. Jesus himself said it this way, Matthew 24, verse 30, which we see depicted here. Jesus says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's what you're seeing here. Listen to how this is described in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, at the ascension of Jesus. It says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So think about that. When Jesus, he was resurrected from the dead, and he shares with the apostles all the stuff after his resurrection, and then he literally ascends into heaven. Now, I always think, like, how cool would it be if the apostles had a cell phone camera? Just imagine on YouTube, all of a sudden, there's, like, Jesus ascended to heaven bodily. And all of a sudden, your wife gets going viral. And you just imagine, maybe Nathaniel's got the cell phone camera. He's like, wait, where's Jesus going to going up? And Peter's like, oh, my gosh, he's, he's levitating. He's going to heaven. And, 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 like, and they're going up. And you can imagine the phone shaking. And you're like, man, people are trying to, like, slow that thing down. And what's really happening? And then all of a sudden, when Jesus is gone, then there's these two angels. They're like, dudes, why are you staring at the sky? 
Like, bro, what are you doing? And he's like, no, Jesus is coming back the exact same way. And then Revelation 19 is like, here comes back Jesus on a white horse. Remember I said earlier that if you're one of those folks who are like, how could you ever believe Jesus is coming back? It's simply because of this. If Jesus truly died and was resurrected, and if Jesus bodily ascended into heaven, then his bodily return is definitely on the menu. It's very rational. Now, if Jesus died and was never resurrected and his body rotted in a tomb, it would be a much different story. And you have to remember that the belief in the resurrection of Jesus, nobody should believe in Jesus because if he wasn't resurrected, then they would have been like, oh, look, dude, his body's right here. Here's the tomb. Nobody would have ever believed in Jesus. The fact that Jesus bodily resurrected and he ascended to heaven, and the apostle Paul says he was seen by thousands of people after his resurrection. So with all that being the case and his ascension into heaven, Jesus coming back is not a stretch of the imagination. It's not like, man, these dudes ate too much funky mushrooms in the wilderness. None of that. It's very logical given all of the data. Now, you could say, well, I don't believe in the resurrection. Well, at that point, you're actually not believing eyewitness testimony. And what's amazing is that you could actually read studies by Harvard law professors who are like, man, actually in a court of law, given the eyewitness testimony that you have from the first century, that this is very reliable information. Very reliable information. Our legal system is still built on the, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter will be established. You get that from the Old Testament. It's still part of it. If you're in a court proceedings and three different people say, oh yeah, I saw that person at this time doing this, that person gets in trouble for whatever they did. And so you have way more than that in your Bibles. Then the only thing you can say then is, well, I don't want to believe it. And that's a different, it's not that you can't believe it. You choose not to. And it's not a data or evidence problem. That's a heart problem, which it always is for all of us. It always boils down to a heart problem. And what Jesus says is, listen, I know you got a heart problem. Let me heal your heart. Let me show you who I am and what I'm doing. Now, There's a lot that I want to say about this, but because this book is called The Revelation of Who? Jesus Christ. There's so much, I mean, again, sermon series, 10-week series on this I could do. It would be so much fun. What I want to give you, I was like, do it. What I want you to see, limiting the scope of what I want to show you, is in these verses on the return of Jesus, there's actually four names of Jesus given. And if it's the revelation of Jesus, we want to know the names by which Jesus is called. Notice first, in verse 11, Jesus is called what? Faithful and true. I love that. Jesus is the only person who will ever be totally faithful to any of us. He's faithful. And not only is he faithful, he's true, which means he ain't false. He's right. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is faithful even when we are not. The Bible says even if we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. And Jesus is the truth. I always say all truth is God's truth, no matter where you find it. And All that Jesus is and does is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is real. There's probably not much thought given to the purity of a bride at her wedding nowadays. Sadly, those expectations aren't as high as they once were. But Pastor Daniel taught that Jesus' standard is quite a bit higher than that of the world. You learn that the great thing about being a follower of Jesus is that while his standards are perfection, he's more than willing to provide the means to hit that mark. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you 
you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone. Text the word SAVED to 51400. S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will begin his teaching, Evil is Crushed. This will be the time after Jesus has defeated all of the armies of earth and begins to rule as king of the earth. You'll find out how Jesus will remake the planet and how vastly different it'll be from what you're used to. Pastor Daniel will teach about what's going to happen during this 1,000-year reign of Jesus. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, A Year of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.